Don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. And don't kill your, don't kill your spouse. spouse. Divorce them <laughs> if you don't want to be with them anymore. These are the bullet points to yes. take away. We'll put those in the notes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Exit Strategy, your no bullshit guide to divorce with the experienced attorneys from New Direction Family Law. Unfiltered discussions to help you move from victim to victorious and from bitter to better. Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth <laughs> Stevenson. I'm a partner and a family law attorney with New Direction Family Law, and I have my sidekick here today. Yes, everyone. I am Jen Bordeaux. Normally, we have the other attorney and Elizabeth's pod partner in crime, Sarah Hink, here. But, you know, it is the season of giving when we're recording this, and that includes germs. So Sarah was not able to join us today. But I am Jen, the director of public relations at New Direction Family Law. Amanda, we are so excited to have you here well, with us today. thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here on the other side of the mic. It's kind of nice for a change. Yeah, and we... Unless you have been living under a rock, especially if you're in the Triangle area, you do not know Amanda Lamb. She is with WRAL and has been for how many years? So I've been with WRAL for 29 years, and I was a TV reporter covering crime for most of my career. And then in the last year and a half, I've been focusing on podcasting. So I've done a couple true crime podcasts and a daily news show. And she's also an author, too. Yes, Yes, I am an author. So I have 12 books. Three true crimes and three mysteries. You've got the Go Ask Mom blog that you you're on I'm all the still all writing <laughs> about yeah being well I was now I write about being an empty nester but have always written about my kids which they love <laughs> you can imagine that right and your mom was a family law my attorney mom as well. was a family lawyer so I grew up hearing lots of stories you know about family law and then she passed away in 2012 and I was involved in the closing of her firm so i got to know a lot of her clients and and hear their stories yeah. so I, I i know a little bit about it got it yeah, yeah. never sure. a dull day it's what lifetime movies are made no. of yeah. or true crime novels are made of <laughs> for sure which is what sure. we, we wanted to bring you in here today to chat about as well as you have you mentioned you have several novels or, and a couple of few of those are true crime correct novels so tell us because they're local to the area yeah so i have covered so many high-profile cases for WREL. And, you know, unfortunately, as both of you know, a lot of them involve domestic Mm -hmm. violence. And so my very first book, Deadly Dose, was actually about a woman who was convicted of killing her husband. So that's not the norm. Uh, Ann Miller was convicted of killing her husband, Eric Miller, with poison, with arsenic. And so that's kind of a little bit off the beaten track. Most cases that I've covered over the years have involved men killing their wives. Most notably, I did a a book called Love Lies about a murder in Cary Mm -hmm. that happened in 2008. And that was a man named Brad Cooper, Mm -hmm. who was eventually pled guilty. He was convicted. It was overturned. And then he pled guilty to killing his wife, Nancy Cooper. And that, unfortunately, is the type of case that I've seen many, many times over the years. And there's also many of those cases that never get publicity for whatever reason. But domestic violence is still a very real problem in America. And, you know, there are resources out there, but obviously it continues to happen. Right. And we deal with that every day for the most part. But I grew up here, and so I remember there there was like a spate of them for— like a few years, like there was, was it Jason Young? Yes. So, then we have right. Michael Peterson. And, and you know, <laughs> I think that the common denominator in a lot of them is that the men who kill their wives or girlfriends, partners, 
always believe they're smarter mm-hmm. than the cops. Absolutely. They believe they're smarter than the prosecutor. And they believe they're going to get away with it. And a lot of them are smart. I mean, they're, you know, they have good careers. They're, they are smart people. But, um, you know, in this day and age, especially with mm-hmm. advancements in DNA, with cameras everywhere, surveillance cameras everywhere, your phone is tracking every little thing you do, you know, whether it's text messaging or emails or GPS, it's very, very difficult right. not to leave a digital footprint or a DNA footprint at a crime scene and, and for you not to be found, found out, out eventually. Right. So do you, is there a, because it's always amazed me, it's like, as a family law attorney, just get divorced. <laughs> Don't kill this person. Is there a common denominator? Well, I, I, I think it's money. And, you know, a lot of the cases that I've covered have involved infidelity on both right. the part of the defendant and the victim. Mm-hmm. But there's plenty of people that are unfaithful to their spouses <laughs> who never kill them. Correct. In fact, I would argue that most people <laughs> who are unfaithful to their spouses never kill them. And many of them stay married. Right. So I don't think that's the thing. I think that's maybe a symptom of the situation of the, of the marriage deteriorating. Right. It's money. I think it really comes down to money. Even when people are fighting over child custody, which I'm sure you see all the time, I think a lot of men specifically, because those are the cases that I have covered, do not want to pay. They don't want to pay for two households. I mean, it's expensive to get divorced. When you're living in one house together, you have one set of bills. When somebody moves Mm -hmm. out, you all of a sudden have two sets of bills. So either you're not going to be able to live the way you were living right. or, you know, if you're lucky to have enough money to live in separate households, that's great. But that's not the norm. norm. Right? right. So I do think it's money. I think it comes down to not wanting to pay and for some reason thinking that this is a good choice. And obviously, you know, <laughs> morally, ethically, you know, legally, all of those reasons, it's not a good choice. But But the bottom line is you're not going to get away with it. And your child or children are now going to lose both parents. Right. That was a very good point that you yeah. made. Right. right. And, and that's, you know, so that should be the end game. They should be thinking about thinking this through, you know, what are the, what, what's, what's the final result here? But you like, you know, domestic violence is so secretive and so pervasive that when you interview people in these books, that somebody say, Oh, he was a, I never saw anything, or I didn't, he yeah, was the nicest I mean, guy I ever, you know. What's no, really no. interesting is in a lot of the cases that I've covered, there was no physical violence. Right. So it was more emotional and, you know, cruelty with words, mm-hmm. if you will. But even that does not indicate somebody's going to kill you, Correct. obviously. So in a lot of the cases, the first time there's ever a physical altercation is actually that, that the time. murder. Now, there's other types of control in domestic violence right. situations. So there's financial control. Mm-hmm. If the woman, for example, doesn't work, which the in the Cooper case, that was the situation. Right. They were from Canada. She didn't have a visa. And, you know, not allowing your spouse to have money for things like groceries mm-hmm. or putting gas in the car or going out to dinner mm-hmm. or buying clothing for your children, cutting you off. From right. family members, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, cutting you off from friends, not allowing you to have a support network. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of types of abuse that are not physical. Absolutely. And so then, how do you know, or what what is the thing that tells you, you know, you need to get out? 
And and I think that's hard. And I think what's really tough for attorneys is a woman comes to you. She says, oh, no, no, he's never done anything to me. But there's got to be always a part of you when you start to hear her <laughs> stories that says, oh, I don't like what I'm hearing. And then you're thinking to yourself, do I tell her to go? Do I tell her to leave? Because, you know, there's so many property right issues there, right. child custody right. issues. But is she in danger? And that's the big question. Well, that's the, you know, the way the statute is written is it's not whether you or I feel in danger. It's whether that person does. But, you know, you have to read very far down to say, if does it rise to the level of harassment? Because financial abuse is not under the statute. Yeah. (laughs) Emotional abuse, for the most part, not. You know, verbal abuse, not. Which is really unfortunate. It's not recognized as abuse. Right. And so that hampers people. And once they leave... They can be cut off from money. They don't have a place to go. They, they You can come get their kid. They're going to come back home. So, so why would layers, they leave? Right, right, so many layers. And, you know, it's interesting. When I first wrote the true crime books, which was many years ago, I would go to book signings and people would raise their hand and they would say, well, didn't the victim drink too much? Didn't she have an affair? And I would say, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold up. <laughs> oh, let's, let's talk about this for a minute. That's like the short skirt argument That's in right. a rape case, right? Right. It doesn't matter what your spouse did to you. You can't kill them. That's right. There, there's no, there's no court. There's no court in America that's going that's to right. say, oh, okay, she wasn't very nice to you. Right. You know, again, all of those things are part of a deteriorating marriage, but the solution is never going to be violence. It, it's that's never going to work. No, but that may be all they think they have. But yeah, and I think another point that y- we talked about off mic was premeditation. So unfortunately, over the years, people have called domestic violence murders crimes of passion, mm-hmm. and that's a really offensive title for a domestic violence murder because it's a murder. It's a homicide. Correct. And there is no passion. If you love somebody, you're not killing them because you love them so much you don't want somebody else to have them. I mean, you're killing them because you want them out of the way. Right. And that's the definition right. of murder. So in North Carolina, premeditation, which is the standard for first-degree murder, doesn't have to be more than just a few seconds. That in that moment, while you were having an altercation with somebody, you decided you wanted them dead. And so that's premeditation. So it's not like, oh, I planned this for a week or I planned this, you know, for a couple of days. It's you were in an altercation and you decided you didn't think, well, maybe this is going to kill them. You thought, I think I I want this person gone. gone. Right. So so that's another important part of the law. I mean, obviously, that shouldn't be the the only deterrent. (laughs) Right. Hey guys, it's Jen with New Direction Family Law. And if you've ever known a friend that's gone through some sort of a custody dispute, you can imagine how stressful it is. Or if you've gone through a custody dispute yourself, child custody disputes can be one of the most stressful and exhausting times of divorce for you and your children. You know your children best, and it's important that you know your legal rights and options and have a say in what's in the best interest of your children. At New Direction Family Law, we have over 30 years experience protecting the rights of our clients in child custody matters. We aggressively advocate, we support, and we educate our clients to achieve the best possible outcomes. So if you're going through a child custody matter or you have a loved one that is, let us be strong for you so you can be strong for your children. Give us a call today at 919-719-3470 to schedule an initial consultation or reach out to us via our website at newdirectionfamilylaw.com.
I always thought it was money too, but I thought it was because they have a $500,000 life insurance policy. I mean, I say to clients all the time, two households can't live as one, you know, you can't do this or right. that, but it never occurred to me that somebody was going to kill somebody over that. Well, and, and again, <laughs> I mean, what's $500,000? And I don't mean that well, meanly. I mean, I mean, I mean, no, I know. I hear what you're I mean saying. That, like, like it's people have also a very unreasonable understanding of money, right? right. They think half a million dollars is going to like change their lives. Change right? their they, lives. They, 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 right. you, you know, you get taxes taken out. You've got, you've got many, many years left of your life to support yourself, to support your children. That's not going to cut it for most people. Right. But they're not thinking. They're not thinking that way. So, you know, I do always think the life insurance thing is just the ruse, the bomb, but, but it's amazing to me when they all do have it. And it's Mm. always something that, you know, is a little bit over the top and you think, well, we just took the policy out last week, but it doesn't mean Man. anything. <laughs> just a coincidence. <laughs> you know, it's just a coincidence that she fell off the bridge. You know, right, and right. it's like it's like it's crazy. But I do think we've gotten, I think, police departments, sheriffs, offices. I think they're getting better training. You really think so? I do. I do. But are I, they internalizing that? I mean, I I hope so, um, especially the younger officers. I do think they're getting better training. And so hopefully that along with the tools, the better tools that we have, the technology, right. the DNA, so on and so forth, that they'll be able to solve these cases, you know, faster and, and recognize them right away for what they are. And, you know, they always say, and I've said this in every book I've ever written that involves domestic violence, you always start close to the victim and then you go out in concentric circles. Mm-hmm. So the husband, the boyfriend, you know, the partner, the live-in, whatever, the roommate, that person's always going to be number one. Right. And so if that person isn't stepping up and giving their DNA and giving their alibi and handing over their phone and their laptop, there's There's a reason reason for that. Right. Right. And, and, and it may just because they've watched too many Lifetime movies and, you know, they're like, (laughs) I've got a lawyer up, you know, but if you didn't do anything when innocent people when they know they're innocent, you know, they generally want to help. Right. And they want the police to, you know, find the person who did it. Right. Or if it's a suicide, rule it as a suicide, suicide. you know. And that's another thing. Anytime somebody tries to stage a suicide. Never works. Never works. <laughs> it's, it's all, there's always something off about it. And so that's usually a situation where somebody gets caught. So, so if we talk about children of that, if something like that would happen, have you ever interviewed as they've gotten older? Because sometimes they'll align with the parent who was the murderer. Because they just want to have that connection. You know, so I have dealt with many cases where there have been children, you know, either one or more children. And no, I haven't had that opportunity. But interestingly, because it's such a fascinating topic to me, my mystery series which the main character is maddie arnett she is the adult survivor of what appears to be a domestic violence homicide i won't give it all away and so those books are dead last lies that bind and no wake zone and they were they were written i wrote them and they were published here at a publisher in durham And so that whole backstory really interested me. And that's why I wrote about it in a fictionalized way. So it's not based on any particular case, but it's kind of, you know, a collection of all of the cases that I've covered because I do always feel for that child because they want, they want to love a parent. 
And that's understandable. And I mean, how could you blame them for wanting to have a relationship with a parent? Right. Right. When Um, I think a great or maybe the biggest example I've seen of that was the Michael Peterson, since it was so since they had the Netflix documentary, then the fictional series on HBO, how those children who and it was their stepmom, Um, right? And even so how they were they rallied to still support him. And, you know, but you could tell that there was still a battle going on with them in them. Your mind probably can't wrap your head around it. You know, that somebody that I love that loved my mom or whoever would would do that. Right. And that's the thing that I would urge anybody, even if they're in a, you know, very bad Mm -hmm. relationship to think about that. If this is the person that brought your children into the world, those children love that person. Mm-hmm. And so the act of taking that person away from your children, you're punishing your children, you know. My mom always, always used to t- talk about, you know, the things that people did to people mm-hmm. in divorce. And as you know, I mean, there's, there's horrible things, it. you know. But if people would just stop, right, if they would just stop for one minute and think about how it affects their children, you know, maybe they would make a different choice. Because I think that's 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 what happens, and I think it's got to be horrible for those children. And maybe they don't believe that the the parent did it, or maybe they don't want to believe, believe it, it, or maybe they do believe it, but they still want to have a relationship with them. And you, you, I don't, you know, my mom always used to say, kids love their parents, even even parents who are abusive. Absolutely, mm-hmm. they do. They do, yeah. and you see it over and over in life. You know where a, a parent will be abusive and then a child grows up and says, well, I still want to have a relationship right. with that parent. And, you know, they somehow get past that. Right. Um, right. But it's, it's you know, it, it's a really horrible situation to imagine. It is. And it's just, I mean, I just can't imagine what goes on somebody's brain. But No. I can't either. Well, one, and then the aftermath, right? Like, so even if you're so caught up in your emotions or whatever the case is, because, you know, it can be hard to take a step back and, <laughs> control your emotions but then the aftermath of like what you actually just did you know in some of the other cases where the folks like were from North Carolina like the case out in Colorado with the husband and wife and the two children I and did the cover whole, that right, as well that right, whole yeah. situation and you know like afterwards and to sit there and act like well and one well, lie that's a, that's a cycle that's a yeah, mental I mean one lie begets sure. another lie obviously yeah, right and um, right and I think you know it would be more convenient for us to believe that everybody who kills is a sociopath because then we don't have to admit That's right. we can justify it. <laughs> we don't right. have to admit that regular people could do can, something could do like, something like right. that. Mm-hmm. I do think there are many sociopaths who, mm-hmm. you know, are are killers, obviously. And and you can go look back at somebody's psychological profile or the dysfunctional mm-hmm. way they were raised and, and see that. But I also think that there's just plenty of people who look like everyone else Correct. that you may live in your neighborhood with, you may go to the, you know, work in an office with, you may go to church with, go to whatever and go to the gym with. And those people could snap Correct. at some point, right. you know, right. It's going to make me want to just lock myself in my house. and everything. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I will say though, that a lot of domestic killers, they are only dangerous to their spouse and, the ones that are convicted that have a possibility of getting out and several cases that I've covered, actually the books that I've done, they are in two cases. They are one's out and one's mm-hmm. going to get out and uh, they will probably never get a speeding ticket. I mean, they will, they will fly beneath the radar mm-hmm. for the rest of their lives because they took a risk and it didn't work, well, it didn't well. work out <laughs> and they're not, I mean, they're smart people. They know that that was a bad idea 
And so they're probably not ever going to get in trouble again. It's, it's, it's a, it's a little bit different than, you know, somebody that's just gone off the rails and killed people who are strangers. Yeah. And doing all of these these interviews and writing your novels, have you ever gone home and then just taken a second look at your spouse? Like, <laughs> well, he's he's pretty funny because he was in, he's he still is in recycling, but for a long time he ran a scrapyard, and he used to tell me the best way to get rid of a body is in a car crusher because the DNA would be so degraded, you know, that you wouldn't be able to. It's so hot. And I was like, why are you telling me <laughs> yeah. this? Yeah. Why are you telling me this? Did he go take out a life insurance policy? Yeah. After that? yeah. yeah. So actually, we, we, we cashed in my life insurance policy for something else. And so once we did that, I thought, oh, that he doesn't really. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. He, he's not a threat. We're okay. We're he's, okay. He, doesn't want, he doesn't want my life insurance. So, right. Yeah. right. One thing you mentioned, too, whenever we were off mic, I'll use your trendy little yeah. term. You mentioned a little bit about how... you. Know, the children piece of it and then how eventually you're always going to get caught. And I know the other true crime novel that you wrote that wasn't a spouse situation, but it was the neighbor and it was, was it three and a half years or something that the DNA yeah. was like, he was evading somehow. Right, that was Drew Planton. Yes. Yeah. And that was Stephanie Bennett. It was, it was a stranger case. She was a young woman who was working for IBM. She was from Virginia. She was living with two friends in an apartment it's unclear whether a window was left open or the lock was broken, but he was, they believed, a serial killer. It was never proven. He, he killed himself in prison, and they connected him to two murders at mm -hmm. that time prior to that. But he, he raped her, and then she was alone in the apartment, so she wasn't found mm -hmm. for about another day because she didn't show up to work. Her boyfriend couldn't reach her. There, there were a lot of issues. But the DNA in that case was everywhere. And the problem was he had never been arrested. Mm -hmm. So his DNA mm -hmm. was not in a database. And the other issue was that back then we didn't really have great databases and we didn't have right. states sharing information. And so that was kind of the beginning of developing a really strong felony database in North Carolina for DNA. And that case, like you said, it took several years and they swabbed so many men in that neighborhood because they did start to believe it was a stranger situation, like a stalker. And they were right, but, you know, they had to find, they had to get the DNA. And uh, he had never given a swab, but they ended up, he worked for the state and they were, they ended up getting something from his lab where he worked right. that, that was a DNA match. Interesting. That's yeah. Crazy. But <laughs> DNA is much better today. The, the technology is really increased. And, I just, I've done three true crime podcasts, but one of them for WRL, one's called What Remains, and it's about connecting missing and murdered people with unidentified remains that the state is holding. We ended up going and doing cases all over the country and all over the world because there were so many. But we started with Dr. Ann Ross, who is a forensic scientist at NC State. And so it was really interesting because she was solving cases that are like, 10, 20, 30, mm -hmm. 40 years old because they can take a tiny bit of degraded DNA now and, and make those connections. Interesting. That is yeah. interesting. I used to be obsessed with Patricia Cornwell yeah. and her uh, yeah, novels and the body farm. I know that wasn't that was that wasn't fiction. That was a real place, but I was just used to be so obsessed. I used to want to be a forensic pathologist. <laughs> Clearly yeah, well, that didn't happen. She, uh, uh, 
Dr. Ann Ross is a fascinating person and she was in many of our episodes and you know there's a lot written about her so check her out because she is to me like a modern day Patricia Cornwell I mean she's like she embodies that you go into her lab and there's skeletons everywhere (laughs) and she's got a wall where she has different tools like machete you know a a knife (laughs) all these different things hammers and those are to see the marks on people's bodies yeah on the bones to see what they used you know and she tells you very matter-of-factly she's a scientist of course you'd have to well you have have to you know it's i I don't i think it's sort of like us it's like we hear stuff everybody people come in my office every day and like just vomit they're emotions sure and so you sort of get I, I never get unfazed by it but you cannot let yourself get yeah, you get a in. little desensitized right. i mean as a crime reporter for so many years i kind of was the same way mm-hmm. um and you have to somehow be able to look at things logically correct mm-hmm. and especially as a journalist to be able to relate that information back without emotion right and so yeah looking at autopsy photos yeah, all the different things be- coming getting to a crime scene Seeing That's the things crazy. that we've seen, you you really have to be able to do that. You do, because could you imagine if every initial consultation or client that you got, every time they were so upset, you were there crying with them? Like, nothing ever get anybody done. any good. So it's we, like we a can't do that. trauma yeah. surgeon. Mm-hmm. If every time somebody came in the ER with something and they sure. freaked mm-hmm. out about it, well, that person, another person did. You know yeah, what I mean? You have to, I mean, you do. You have to learn to compartmentalize, you mm-hmm. know. But you also want to be human. And so you kind of have to balance those two things. Absolutely. As, yeah. as you know you want to be compassionate you want to be kind and um, so yeah it's a lot though it's a lot to carry on your shoulders Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, that does not mean that we are not compassionate for our clients and potential clients (laughs) but i'm just saying i know that you shoulder a lot and i'm sure you go home sometimes feeling like wow that was tough i know my poor dog when i go home (laughs) your dog hears it all my therapy dog (laughs) yeah you tell your dog everything so what's your book coming you got a book coming out correct not quite yet i'm working on a book right now so i have another thriller okay it's a totally new set of characters. The main character is a reporter. I made her a newspaper reporter this time. Just, you know, going a little. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And it takes place in the mountains, and it's about a missing hiker. And oh, interesting. Yeah, it nice. turns into Is it a, in the, what, on the trail, or is it here? Um, so we happen to be in Virginia at a place called Primland mm-hmm. over the pandemic, And there was a missing hiker. And that just kind of put it in my head. And, of course, being a North Carolinian, I I set everything here. Here. And because this is where I, you know, I know this area. But, yeah, and and the story, the real story has nothing to do with what I wrote. I ended up making up, you know, my own story. But what's interesting and what I try am trying with this book is I have multiple points of view. So I have the investigator's point of view. I have the... I have the journalist point of view. I have the point of view of the husband of the missing hiker because mm-hmm, it's a woman. And then I have a manager of the resort, her point of view. So they kind of overlap. Oh, cool. So mm-hmm. you get to see different different sides of the story. So. I love those style of books. I That's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. <clears throat> and then, can I just ask, have you always, was it always crime? That um, you d- well, did? so I'm not sure if you and I have ever talked about this. So my dad was a district attorney. Okay. When I was growing up in Pennsylvania, and my mom was a family lawyer. Right. And so I spent a lot of time in the courtroom. And in oh, fact, nice. my current true crime podcast is called The Killing Month, August 1978. And it's about a 45-year-old case in Pennsylvania, a group of outlaw hillbillies who 
were stealing everything from Corvettes to art, you name it. And they, and tractors, that was their big thing, tractors. They got caught. Well, some younger members of the gang started snitching to the, to the FBI and they started killing them. So they were accused of six murders. It was a very high profile case. My dad actually was the prosecutor. Oh no. And they made a book about it called At Close Range oh, wow. with Sean Penn and Christopher Walken. You can still get it, I think, on Netflix. Oh, man. I'm going to have to watch that. I've got to yeah. watch that now. And then my good friend and journalist, Bruce Mowdy, wrote a book about it called Jailing the Johnston Gang. And so it had never been a podcast. Huh. So I made that podcast for WRL along with my producer, Rachel McCarthy. And... Uh, I think it's great. I got to listen to that. It's eight episodes. You can binge it. Okay. You can get it okay. uh, anywhere you get your podcast. <laughs> but the best thing about it is I got to work with my 83-year-old dad. That is That's so cool. And, um, share stories and share my memories because I was 13. Were you remember the, do you remember the trial? Oh, I do. So, yeah, because that's what. DAs did. They took their kids to a 13-year-old to a murder trial because that's a good idea. Yeah, I asked him that. I was like, did you think it was a good idea? He's like, I'm sure I cleared it with your mom. I, yeah. But, you know, it was fascinating to me. And I think that was where the, like, seeds Seed were sown. Stone. Because I've always been, I was a general assignment reporter, which is means jack of all trades. Right. You cover everything from the overturned tractor trailer to the school board <laughs> to the hurricane, right? right. But... You get to concentrate if you're lucky right. in your career. And so I ended up concentrating on crime, which is usually what like rookie reporters do. But I developed relationships with attorneys and prosecutors mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. investigators and victims' families and defendants' families and judges. And so it just became my thing. And I really enjoy the complexity of criminal cases and then i also enjoy i mean this is going to sound horrible but the theater if you will Mm -hmm. i mean you're taking this very emotional thing like we were talking Mm -hmm. about and you bring it into a courtroom and then you kind of like you know all of a sudden it has to be very much about the facts Mm -hmm. and it has Mm -hmm. to be very much about the law and so it's so interesting to me how you can take something so intense and and put it into to that you know that framework but yeah i've always loved it so here because i've been here so long I have covered from the crime, through the investigation, through the arrest, through the trial, through the retrial, <laughs> the release, <laughs> through the, the civil case, the wrongful death lawsuit, yeah, the release, all of that. So I've had an opportunity to really see things, you know, from many different perspectives, and I find it fascinating. But I also find a lot of things fascinating. I'm just really a curious person. Yeah. You know? So then, how do you switch? Because you've also got a couple of children's books. I do, <laughs> which so, I assume are not true crime novels. They're not. They're not. Although my very first book, when I was four, was called "The Frog Ate the Dog." So I think that was the beginning. <laughs> the frog um, gets, gets revenge. But yeah, revenge. I always I like tell it. people, you know, we all have a lot of different facets to our personality, right? And so I have written in so many different genres. So I wrote parenting memoirs when my kids were little. I wrote three parenting memoirs and, you know, they're kind of funny. They're kind of Irma Bombach meets David Sedaris. I say that <laughs> humbly, very humbly, but they're snarky, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Right, right. So they're working mom stuff, um, lots of funny stories. And then I did write one about my mom and caregiving because my mom had brain cancer. Mm-hmm. She had a glioblastoma mm-hmm. and I was her caregiver. So I wrote some, a book called The Living Room, a couple of children's books, which not my forte, but I did have fun, and I had good people guiding me on those. 
and then the true crime books, which were just a natural extension right. of my job. Yeah. And then the mysteries, which were just fun. You a know, creative using piece Using my you, imagination, imagine. pulling from a lot of real stories. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, I've been a reporter for 35 years, so more than half my life. And, you know, I take a lot of, of, of my fiction comes from real things that happened, and then I jump off right. into a tangent, right. Right. you know. Right. So, yeah, so I have a lot of different things I'm interested in. I mean, right now... I'm actually starting my own company and I'm working on a couple different podcasts, one called Ageless about women transforming themselves after 50, which I'm just so fascinated. I have so many friends who have done amazing things, you know, third, fourth careers where they've just started something completely new and taken off and, you know, they're just well, that's inspirational. Great. Yeah, because yeah, a lot of my clients, especially women who grew up in that era where you stayed at home and you didn't work and now we're in our 60s and mm-hmm. he wants to separate and what do I do? You know, and you, and you, you, you this feel whole world stuck, of, right? Yeah, you but, feel stuck and you feel like you've been left behind correct. and you feel like you're not relevant anymore and in some ways that's the message, the, the cultural mm-hmm. message that I get. The world is not kind to no. women as you age. You know? But no. I have so many friends and that's why I started this because I have so many friends. I'm like, wow, you're amazing. You go, girl. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Push clients your way. And I really, and and I'm going to launch that um, this year in 2024. Excellent. And so I I really feel strongly that hearing other people's stories can be really inspiring because it's been inspiring to me to hear their stories. Right. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, I could do that. Yeah, I could do that. Why not? I mean, we can reinvent ourselves. Absolutely. Why not? So good for you. I love that. So don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. And don't kill your don't kill your spouse. spouse. Divorce him if you don't want to be with him anymore. These are the bullet points to yes. take away. We'll put those in the notes, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Put those in the notes. Yeah, but thank you. I really appreciate it. Oh, and your passion it's been fun. and your support of domestic violence victims. We're all about that. We support Interact. We do Safe Child. We do Hope Center. So thank you. We appreciate your voice being out there. Absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. Well, it's been great. Thank you for You're having me. You're welcome. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to leave us a review. You can visit us at newdirectionfamilylaw.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at the exit strategy underscore podcast or email us at exit strategy at newdirectionfamilylaw.com. We'll be back next time with more no bullshit content about life, divorce, parenting, relationships, and everything in between.